cliffcentral.com. We've got um, something much more exciting that we've got to do this morning, and I'm thrilled to welcome him back to the show. He's always uh, one of the things that we look forward to every single time he's on. Jean-Jacques Cornish, and I'm talking about Africanalysis, which, of course, is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School, and we're looking at what is happening around the African continent. Good morning, Mr. J.J. Cornish. Bonjour to you. I hear you talking about uh, the petrol price. I, I filled my car up the other day and realized that I have car owner virus uh, it's the worst illness i've had ever <laughs> i do, I do like that i do like that jj by the way you look like one of those magicians with your black shirt your black shirt and your black background you look like a floating head this morning it's there we go look at you so jj nothing up my sleeve <laughs> well we've got to talk about a bunch of things i mean while we complain about the petrol price going up and, and international oil prices are under huge pressure, this is a big boon for the producers of oil in Africa, chiefly among them, obviously, our friends in Nigeria. Uh, they obviously are going to hit a bit of a windfall here, are they not? They're going to make a lot of money. You know, I mean, the world has actually turned on its head with this invasion. And we can remember it after the end of apartheid. I remember traveling around the world at the time and, and people saying, yes, okay, so you've got this rainbow nation and this peaceful transition, but what are you doing about economic growth? And I thought, well, that's true. What are we doing about economic growth? The fact is we, we, we had too long a honeymoon after our transition and didn't worry about economic growth. Yeah. The rest of the world was doing that. Suddenly now economic growth takes second place to security. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to have to learn to face the fact that uh, petrol price, we're going to live with inflation. That's very sad. So that's going to drive many Africans back into poverty. But it's the petrol price that's going to go up and it's going to stay up. And that's going to bring trillions of dollars to countries like Nigeria, Libya, Angola, Algeria, Egypt. They're all going to have a big boon. Now, I, I'm, I'm working on these countries, particularly uh, Angola, Nigeria, and how the slump in the oil price absolutely decimated their economy. Mm. So what are they going to do when that money comes back? Are they going to use it properly? Are they going to let it trickle down to the people? They have no record of doing this, neither in Angola no. nor in uh, Nigeria. So, so much depends on how they manage this uh, wealth boom that's going to happen for them. Well, we know what's going to happen is that there are oligarchs, and, and, and we should just call them oil gawks for the purposes of this conversation, because we know that this would happen before. You're quite right. It never seems to trickle down. The people of Angola, the average person in Angola, their life hasn't improved terribly much um, when the oil price has gone up. Um, and the same goes for Nigeria. There are still huge political and 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 divisional instabilities that are going on in those countries. And we know, for example, that in Nigeria there are <laughs> there are some very dangerous people in the oil industry, and it is a dangerous business to be in. It's probably not going to trickle down there, and it it probably will just end up being another day in in Nigeria and Angola for the average person. Or, or am I being very cynical? Not at all. I'm looking particularly at a small country like Gabon, two million people uh, with oil. So, you know, had one of the highest uh, 
GDP per capita income uh, ratings in in Africa, mm-hmm. but they uh, overusing their their uh, drawing on their supply. They have enough petrol to last them for two hundred and sixty one years, hmm. but they export ninety eight percent of that. Wow. And so uh, you know, but where does that money go to? Into the hands of Ali Bongo went into the hands of Omar Bongo, his father before him, forty two years as president. Now again. This oil boom is really going to help uh, Gabon. Two million people, as I said, but about uh, four-fifths of them live in abject poverty. So this is the same sort of thing in Equatorial Guinea, another oil-rich state, the, the, a smallish country, small population, but the majority live in abject poverty. So while the rich at the top get even richer, the poor get poorer, and unless that changes... We're just going to see uh, no change for Africa, and that's the saddest thing. And, of course, here in South Africa, we sometimes cut off our nose to spite our face. I know that a lot of people were very opposed to Shell drilling off the Transkei coast not so long ago, and perhaps we would have discovered oil, perhaps we wouldn't have. People were very worried about the ecological and environmental ramifications of that, but um, it might have been nice to have some oil. I'm just saying, I'm not trying to look for a fight with anyone, but if we want to, um, to, to capitalize, and perhaps this is something that the government might have seen as an opportunity too, um, is, is, the, is the ability for a country to be energy independent is going to be a huge factor going forward. In fact, JJ, isn't this the basis if we can just cast our eyes towards the source of our problems in Europe and the Ukraine here? Isn't the biggest problem for Europe at the moment that they're not energy independent of Russia. That's why Russia can hold them by the, the short and curlies, right? Absolutely, absolutely. If we had, for example, found oil or gas, hmm. and we keep looking for it off Mossel Bay, but now we're scared of the way to do it. And I yeah. mean, this whole issue of fracking, well, I'm certainly not for fracking, but, uh, you know, we've got to find it. And, uh, you know, the, the way the machinations of the oil industry, oil pricing has worked is that suddenly, uh, because of the political ramifications, Russia suddenly became the largest producer oil producer in the world mm-hmm. and, and 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 that has given it a power that um, a man like uh, putin is able able to misuse uh, mightily but the fact is a country like germany smart savvy heart of europe stuff completely virtually completely reliant on uh russia for gas mm. and and that has been so unhealthy so they've got to break that mm. and they will get there try to get more gas from algeria from angola from egypt that might be a good thing to break that dependency but again here if, if in south africa we did have it you know that would cement our role as the largest economy suddenly nigeria yeah. uh, which claims to be the largest might be able to make a more realistic claim when it, with the new uh, petrol price goes up, or as the petrol price goes up. So, JJ, we mentioned Algeria there, and Ramadan is approaching. Algeria has banned the export of foodstuffs. Again, a security question. You know, national security isn't just about weapons and wars and guns and troops on the ground and safe borders and all the, that kind of thing. Security has to do also with making sure that people have enough to eat. Indeed. I was in uh, Algeria for Ramadan once. You know, you've never seen them. They take it so seriously. You can eat, they told me. You can eat. And I said, yeah, sounds like a clever plan to me. Sit in the middle of the town square, one Western pale-looking dude eating while while the bad-tempered fasting Algerians walk around (laughs) 
uh, walk around me. I said, no, thanks. I will keep karem. They use that word karem, which is, of course, uh, the it's a Christian word for Lent. But yeah. the Algerians use I will keep karem with the rest of you. I got back to my hotel one night. The table was groaning with food. I thought, better just pop up quickly and wash my hands, which I did. And when I descended, some minutes later, those tables were empty. Ah, so taking it very seriously then. The, the sun had the sun had gone down, or it was official sunset, okay. and the Algerians descended upon that grub and consumed it uh, at a speed that I just couldn't match. Okay, so I went hungry another night. But here we have Abdel Majid Tebun. He's banned the export of sugar, oil, pasta, semolina, wheat, and he's also asked for a prolongation of the. A ban on the importation of frozen meat. Now, when Ramadan comes, they go through 54,000 tons of meat. Wow. So he's basically worried about the rise in the uh, food prices and of shortages that might be caused by the uh, invasion of uh, Ukraine. Uh, and again, with Ramadan coming, I mean, as I say, they, 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 they don't fool around when they have, uh, they break their fast at the end of the day, they break it uh, uh, with abandon. And of course, they do start eating uh, early morning. I remember waking up with a noise at about three in the morning and it was the, uh, the room service taking food to every room before the sun could possibly come up. <laughs> and, and so, the, you know, that's how they manage. Uh, every, every single interview I did with every government minister, the guy wanted to bite my head off. They, they become very bad tempered during the day. <laughs> So I imagine that Tibun's making this announcement before Ramadan, before this can happen, is opportune for him because uh, uh, you cannot do anything unpopular during those days of fasting. You'd be eaten alive, I think. That's very interesting and something you'd have to be in the country to actually experience and know about. So what about what's uh, going on in Kenya? I heard that Uhuru Kenyatta is um, is, is he there was a crackdown on motorcycle taxis, right? So, like, we have um, yes. we have taxis in South Africa. We also have Ubers, and we also have uh, many other means that people have to use for transport. But in in Kenya, it's popular to have motorcycle taxis. They are called boda boda, and that comes, in fact, from Uganda. Now, the the border between Uganda and uh, Kenya at Busia, there's a distance between the two border gates, the sort of no man's land, of about a kilometer. And these taxis, these motorcycle taxis began ferrying people between them, saying, boda, boda, in other words, from border to border. <laughs> and they were carrying, this is, this started, you know, Ooh. 20 years ago. Now there are about a quarter of a million of these boda, bodas in uh, Kenya and about the same number in, in just the capital, Kampala in Uganda. And the boda, bodas, if you want to get anywhere, because the traffic in both these cities is absolutely parlous. will take you forever to cross uh, Nairobi. You have to go on the back of a Boda Boda. If you want to get food delivered, you ha- need a Boda Boda. If you need, uh, you want to get small parts for the cars or anything like that delivered, you have to have a Boda Boda because these, uh, the, the, the vehicles just can't get things around far. You know, the supply chain breaks down. Now, what has happened? There was a horrific piece of video footage of Bora Bora riders stripping a woman naked in the streets. And uh, Hura Kenyatta uh, cracked down on that. But, you know, Hura Kenyatta, he's stepping down, of course. His two-term limit is over. But they face elections in August. So uh, to do something like 
break the supply chain as he's done with the Bora Boras is, uh, is, is not uh, at all uh, advised or advisory mm-hmm. during the uh, election campaign. So he's now reinstated them or, or, or put a guard on it and said, we will investigate this. Mm-hmm. I imagine that the uh, Bora Boras create the same kind of uh, static uh, in Kenyan society as taxis, as the mini yeah. taxis do, or, or mini bus taxis do in South Africa. I remember yeah. as the radio host, if the show got quiet, I would either say, so what do you think Robert Mugabe is up to? Or uh, how about those taxi drivers? You know, I had one do this to me today. And, of course, the lights in the studio would would flicker yeah. on like like a Christmas tree. People do nothing but talk about it. And and I think that's the same in Uganda and in Kenya. But uh, to actually try and, and stop them, stop them getting into the cities, uh, which lasted for only five days, was something that uh, Uhura Kenyatta found too politically taxing. That's very good. Um, I, I'm obviously interested also in your thoughts on this, um, which came up, uh, JJ. We, we were talking earlier. Lebang found this thing about national meals per country in Africa. And there's the, I don't know if you can see all the detail in this, but I was interested in you having traveled Africa and been in so many countries on this continent. Where's the best and where's the worst meal you've had on the continent of Africa, JJ? Well, I mean, the worst meal... I would probably have to say would be in South Africa, you know, because uh, I've eaten more here than anywhere else. So, so the law of averages makes it the worst. Okay. I have to tell you the truth, though. Uh, I've been vegetarian for more than 50 years. So I'm, I'm the bad judge of good meals and bad meals. I think some of the finest food I've had is in, uh, in Egypt. Hmm. I love Mediterranean food. Mm-hmm. Some great meals in, um, in Algeria. And some pretty good meals in Tunisia. So you know that's the, but that's my style of food. So all in As the for, all in the uh, north, everything in the north all is up very there. good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't, I can't say that I've had great meals in East or Central Africa, particularly in the Congo. You know, um, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I get by, but you know, a lot of the time, a lot of the time, while many people try to smuggle cocaine and. Uh, hash and stuff in through borders. I tend to smuggle cashew nuts and almonds and, <laughs> and pecan nuts and, and hope that I don't get caught because otherwise I simply and energy bars. Otherwise I simply couldn't survive. Well, it's always it's always good to get your input on these things. You are uh, you are extremely well traveled on the continent and you know the ins and outs. And thank you for telling us about boda bodas. Uh, somebody says here, yeah, I remember that on my two visits to Kenya. That's Patrick. So. Uh, lots of lots of things getting a, uh, making Patrick all nostalgic here. Thank you so much, JJ. Always good to see you. We will catch up with you again in a couple of weeks' time. JJ Cornish and African Analysis on CliffCentral.com. CliffCentral.com.